This episode is brought to you by Pitch DMM, the football fan app that gives fans a voice and allows you to rate your team, the players, and pick your formation and your squad in real time, every game, and compete with your mates. Have fun whilst generating a voice that will be listened to. Your club, your voice, be heard. Get it now on Google Play and download it on the Apple App Store. You are listening to an official podcast from Kings of Europe, your football link to the European Super Leagues. Yeah, love that music. Love that music. That's, I feel like we have our own Champions League theme song. It's like we're it's like we we are we we're going into the match ourselves, but we don't get to do it one time. We get to do it every week. Welcome everyone. It is Friday afternoon, Friday evening, Friday morning, wherever you're at in the world, and that means it's time for the Kings of Europe podcast. This is episode seven, and this is our big Champions League final preview show. This is this this show is is all about. Real Madrid and Liverpool FC, and of course we have, as we say every week, we cover all five top leagues in Europe, and that includes the league. Uh, so we have a special guest with us this week uh, to talk about Paris Saint Germain, the reigning uh, French champions, uh, as well as the French Cup champions, and a little bit of disappointment in the Champions League, but we're going to get to that soon. Uh, at this time, I do want to thank all listeners last week for the phenomenal uh, downloads and listens to the Manchester City, Juventus, and Bayern season reviews. Uh, thank you guys very much. Always, always, always love the support. It's, it's greatly appreciated. And at this time, I'll be introducing who is with me on the show because I'm never alone. Uh, I always have a great panel of guests and everyone has their, their, their beer in hand and everyone has their, their drinks. Tonight, I want to give a shout out to Ballast Point for making an awesome grapefruit sculpin. You guys, you guys kill it every week. Uh, I'm not always drinking every week, but I'm sure you guys brew great beer every week. Anyways, this time, uh, my guest for this week's special guest is Mr. Mark Damon. He is going to talk to us about everything and all things Paris Saint-Germain. Mark, thank you so much for being on tonight, my friend. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Pretty early in the show to try to risk it by putting me on, but yeah, thank you guys so much, and I hope I um I live up to the expectations. I'm sure I'm I'm pretty positive that we don't have to worry about that. You're 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 you. I've seen I've seen your work, sir. You've done quite well in the past, so I have confidence. Thank you very much. I appreciate that a lot. Absolutely, and also uh, so on my virtual left and right, I got uh re- recurring guests uh. This is this is my Liverpool panel here. Uh, I got Mr. Alex Miller with us tonight. Alex, how you doing, buddy? Hey, how you doing, Critty? Doing nice to be here again. Doing great, my friend. And T-minus four days. Has he minus four days, my friend, till the rocket lifts off. And also, I welcome back Mr. Stanino Oliviero de Whitehall Whitehall Dum. Stan, how you doing, buddy? Ah, <clears throat> Zima. Uh, so for everybody that's wondering, 
Stan is drinking a uh, a girly drink from the 1990s that I, I last saw in a grocery store circa 2001. He is drinking a Zima for reasons unbeknownst to me. Uh, this is, um, I would say for him... We're doing, a, we're, doing, we're doing a huge marketing campaign via Twitter, so, you know, get at me if you want to get down. That's all I can say, at Real White Dude FC. Apparently. Uh, uh, and, and, of course, the guy who is talking to you now... Your host at Curdy Smith. I am Curdy Smith. I and 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 I am ready to get this bad boy on the road. I am stoked about this episode. I've been wanting to talk about Paris Saint Germain for a long time, and tonight is the night we get to finally recap what an amazing season it was for them. Very talented roster, lots of great players, lots of great goals. Of course, the record transfer fee, worldwide record transfer fee last season for. One of the brightest, youngest players in the game today, Mr. Neymar Jr. So we'll start off. I just want to uh, get a few highlights for them. With uh, PSG in mind, uh, they played extremely well in the league. On there's no doubt about that. They were dominant. Yet Edinson Cavani leading the way with 28 goals, Neymar with 19, Mbappe finished with 13. Uh, Mbappe, an interesting transaction. Mark, I'll ask you about this later. But I think he's technically on loan from Monaco because they they didn't buy him outright. Is that right? Uh, you are correct. Yes. The uh, just to go through that quickly. He was loaned for the 2017-2018 season with an obligatory uh, buy option, unless PSG were relegated from Ligue 1, which obviously didn't happen. So Kylian Mbappe, I believe at the end of June, will officially become a Paris Saint-Germain player full-time. Very good. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, that's a great explanation because I knew there was something about this season where it wasn't quite official, but it was soon to be official. Also, uh, you know, just like I said, completely dominant. 38 matches they played in League uh, 62.6% possession, 89.6% pass completion percentage. Uh, very, very successful. And in the Champions League, uh, eight appearances. They scored 27 goals. They were right there with some of the top scorers. I mean, they had a phenomenal group stage. They beat Bayern Munich 3-0, costing Carlo Ancelotti his job in the group stage back in late September. Uh, shots per game, very similar to from league to Champions League. 15.3 in the Champions League. In the league, uh, they had 16.4. A uh, little bit less possession in Champions League, but overall, not bad. They and they were very they were very uh, spread out as far as their goal scoring went in the Champions League as well. Um, they had Cavani leading the way again with seven, Neymar with six, and Mbappe with four. So the three scores from the league remained the same over the Champions League as well. So Mark, what? Uh, how, how would you, what are your impressions on uh, Paris' season in the league? Uh, it's completely dominant. They won by uh, quite a bit of margin, double-digit margin over Monaco and Lyon, and uh, never really were threatened, whereas last year, really a great title race between Monaco and PSG up until the bitter end. Monaco did not play a part this year, and some would say that had a lot to do with the fact that 
Monaco's talent got raided from from everywhere, both domestic and abroad, and uh, just couldn't couldn't recuperate uh, to, to compete with a team like PSG. So, what are your thoughts on their their domestic season? First off, okay, so domestically, um, I would say domestically that they were. I would say as dominant as they were two years ago, maybe a little less. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about the 2015-2016 season where they got 96 points and they won the league by 30. The league has gotten better in the last two years. And it took them more effort to win the league this year than it did the year those that two years before, just as a comparison point. I thought for a team that was basically put together in August, sense that you bring in Neymar and you bring in Mbappe and that totally changes the dynamic of your team you're talking about a roster that the year before had Edison Cavani, Angel Di Maria and Lucas Mora eventually bringing in Julian Draxler to play on the left wing bumping Angel Di Maria to the right that team scored 83 goals in the league and 83 goals is not good enough for a team that is expecting to dominate the league. And Monaco blew them away with their goal differential and blew them away with the goals that they scored. One of the reasons that Monaco was able to build that lead that PSG was not able to um, overcome. You go to this year, they score 108 in Mm -hmm. league on, which is the difference between getting 87 points and getting 93 and it's the difference between it being a competitive race and a non-competitive race. You had a lot of games where they would beat some of the lower-level league on teams by a lot. You had an 8-0 victory over Dijon. You had a 5-0 victory over Angers, 6-2 over Bordeaux. A lot of blowouts, but then you'd have a game against the top four, say, Lyon and Marseille. Mm-hmm. Marseille, at home, Marseille at home, they took care of pretty easily, but Marseille on the road... They had to get an Edison Cavani late free kick. That was a game that Neymar got sent off in, I believe, the 83rd minute just to get a draw out of that game. And then if you look at how they played against Leon, who I think were the second-best team in the league talent-wise all the way through, they barely beat them at home. They actually needed two own goals to, to beat them 2-0 at home. And then they lost 2-1 on the road with the uh, Fakir early goal and then a, a Memphis Depay goal, and I believe the 90th minute off a of Levin Kozawa mistake, which is really shocking if you've seen how well Levin Kozawa has played this year. Mm-hmm. But um, that's sarcasm for anyone that doesn't kind of get my humor. But um, they were challenged a bit against the top four. I would say more than you would think, looking at the standings. And you can tell that the gap between the top, between PSG and the rest of the league has gotten less than it was. It's not as wide as it used to be. But still, you spend nearly 400, 500 million euros on two players, two attacking players, each score more than 10 goals, each are pretty high in assist totals. You're going to run away with the league. And PSG, because of how they performed in the Champions League, needed to have the quadruple to sort of soften the blow. And they did get the quote-unquote quadruple. And if you're basing a season on winning all the possible domestic trophies, you have to give PSG's domestic season an A. 
Uh, question real quick about Edison Cavani. So he's 31 years old. He played the most minutes of any outfield player for PSG, 28 goals, six assists in the league. There's talk of him leaving. Is there any, is there any um, truth behind that? Do you believe that Edison Cavani will, will depart this season? I would say that it, there's truth behind it in the sense that there's always, when it comes to a club like PSG, you're always going to have the constant rumors of people leaving, people coming and going. That's just naturally how it is. Uh, recent interviews, Edison Cavani has expressed that he, he he does like, and you can tell when you watch him play. He really does enjoy the fans. He enjoys being at PSG. He's, at this point in his career, he's a club legend. He can really do no wrong with that fan base. And I, if you remember back to the whole penalty deal with Neymar and Cavani, which we might get into at some point, a lot of fans took Edison Cavani's side. And I think that he sees a situation where he's going to be taken care of for the next couple of years. And right now, there really isn't a need for PSG to sell him in that he's not in the last year of his contract. And unless they're kind of forced by the financials of it all, um, they don't really have a ready-made striker at the disposal to put there yet. Kylian Mbappe would be the obvious guy, but you're not at that point where you can put him at the number nine and he's going to be as effective. It's... I kind of think it's easier in football to be a winger than it is to be a, a true number nine. And unless PSG got blown away with an offer, and I just don't see it happen. I really don't see him leaving. Okay. Um, the same question about Julian Draxler. He's been obviously linked with a number of Premier League sides. He's been linked with a move back to the Bundesliga. Obviously, he, he only plays 1,706 minutes. He scored four goals, had five assists. I don't think that... Drexler really envisioned himself having, I don't want to say a minimalist role, but I think he, coming from Wolfsburg, he had a magnificent performance against Real Madrid, almost single-handedly eliminating them in the Champions League two years ago. He was fantastic in that in that uh, two-leg fixture. What um, do you, is, will Drexler ever be elevated to a bigger role with the club, or, or is, do you think his dis, disinterest in being a reserve player uh, for much of the season, will eventually get the best of him and he'll move on. Well, let, let's go back a little bit on that. Okay. Uh, when he was brought into the club, the dynamics were a lot different than they ended up being. He was brought in in the beginning of 2017 in the January transfer window. One, because Wolfsburg was looking to sell because they were in a relegation fight. They didn't necessarily know whether they would need the money or not, so they looked to ship them off. Draxler wasn't exactly in the best of spirits at that point. He hated it. He hated being at Wolfsburg. He absolutely despised that club. Yes. Yeah. And PSG at the time was, I believe, either second or third at that point going into January. They'd come off one of the worst stretches in the QSI era, the uh, Qatari era, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. um, they had lost three games in December. And were really faltering. And part of the reason was they weren't getting enough production out of their front line. At that point, as I said before, it was Cavani, Di Maria, and Lucas Mora. And Lucas Mora and Angel Di Maria were really giving them nothing. So they bring in Julian Draxler to play the left wing. He does a really good job in those first five months. And he's 
positioned to be a starter. And then, wouldn't you know, in comes Neymar. Neymar plays left wing. Julian Draxler, as good as he is, is never going to start over Neymar at left wing. So now you have to find a position to put Julian Draxler. Mm -hmm. And Unai Emery experimented and to a degree had some success playing Julian Draxler as a central midfielder. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, one of the mid in a a 4 3 3, he would be either the left midfielder or the right midfielder alongside Marco Verratti or Adrian Rabio. And at times that worked out okay. Other times he sort of disappeared in and out of the game. I think if the coach was anyone but Tuchel coming in, I would think that PSG would be looking to sell him because he doesn't necessarily fit. But. Tuchel gives, I think, Draxler a second life at PSG in that I feel like, and this is not just because they're both German. I I understand where people's minds are going with that. Mm -hmm. It's not because they're German. It's because Julian Draxler is the type of versatile player that fits well in a system where the coach wants to be versatile in his options. So Draxler can play the 10, he can play in the midfield, he can play on the wing. And when you have a coach that likes to sort of vary his positions and, fa- and vary what he does in his, in his tactical uh, game plan, Julian Draxler becomes more valuable. And I feel like there's other circumstances happening right now. As we speak, a report came out that Adrian Rabio uh, does not want to be a reserve for the uh, French national team in the World Cup. He wants to withdraw from that role. And as you can all know, that's that's endearing himself very well to the French fan base. So there's a chance that Adrian Rabio is not with the team next year. So I wouldn't be so sure to say Draxler's going. I think there's a very good chance he stays as well. Excellent. Uh, I mean, I think that it, they, they'd be better off to keep him. I know that Stan has a hashtag, uh, hashtag free Draxler, but uh, you know, I don't know if that's actually going to come to fruition or not. A couple more players I had, uh, before we move on to the Champions League season, a couple more players I had a question about. Uh, before we get to the obvious elephant in the room, which is Neymar, I want to talk a minute about Marco Verratti because he's another one that, uh, fantastic uh, foreign player, comes from Italy, key member of the Azzurri, he is a he's one of the best sixes. Uh, if you qualify him as a defensive center mid, uh, I think in the game today he's he's fantastic. He's still young at twenty five. There has been again you have to take these trade uh, trade these transfer rumors with a grain of salt sometimes. But there's also been articles published, and I don't know if it's just clickbait. But that's why we have you on because you are the PSG expert. What is the situation with Verratti as we enter the summer transfer window, uh, especially as Italy are not in... Uh, there's some tournament this summer. I can't think of which one it is, but um, it was pretty important from what I understand, and Italy's not a part of it. So what will the future hold for Verratti at PSG as we move forward? I hate to be the they're all going to stay guy because I know that's not particularly exciting, mm-hmm. but... He's in a situation where he lost a bit of his leverage last year in that whole um, Barcelona courting. I, I, I would call it um, destabilization tactics that Barcelona tried to use to force that move. I think Marco Verratti kind of got caught in the middle of it with his agent at the time, who was a real piece of work. And that's me being nice about it. Um, and Oh, you don't have to be nice that. if you don't want to be. You don't have to be nice. 
Um, he was an asshole. Yeah. Um, but um, he came. He comes back. Uh, they have him on video, basically what I guess you could describe as a hostage uh, mm-hmm. video, where he just sort of says how sorry he is and how he wants to stay at the club and he's sorry for all the inconvenience that it caused. Blah blah blah. And since then, he had a good, not great season. Um, you talk to some people who follow the club; they may tell you that he's sort of um, stagnated as a player. He's not really evolving his game further into what it could be. And you had the incident in the Champions League, and I want to get into this when we t- also when we talk about their Champions League failures and why they kind of happened. He has that red card in the second leg, which sort of put PSG out of it for good. I mean, at that point, it was basically a mercy killing, but he gets that red card for arguing with the German referee. He gets sent off, and it just brought back all that sort of petulant Marco Verratti stuff where he falls down and complains to the ref and does the Italian hand gestures and gets everyone upset. And So I feel like he's not in a position where he's going to make the move. I mean, Barcelona was the obvious move, and they now have Philippe Coutinho. So... I, I don't see him going into a sort of a Xavi role there because Marco Verratti is a little small to be a six, especially since he hasn't really played six at PSG in a long time. Mm-hmm. So I don't see an obvious move. He's treated fairly well. He makes a lot of money. He's not going to the World Cup. He's going to have a chance to give it another year or so. He's, his contract, I think, runs until 2021, maybe. 2022 so he does again doesn't have the leverage he thinks he has so expect him to stay and i think um i think hopefully tuchel will bring another dimension to his game maybe make him a little more element his game back up rather than him sort of dribbling into crowds which is what he tended to do a lot especially in big games so the last player I want to talk about obviously is the record transfer fee over 200 million euros spent last season on one Neymar from uh, one of the teams uh, clubs you just talked about being Barcelona. Uh, Neymar when he played was nothing short of fantastic. He had 20 appearances in the league, uh, just shy of 1800 minutes, 19 goals, 13 assists in the Champions League, six goals. Also had uh, I don't see him on the assist total here, but. Um, Anyways, he didn't do. He didn't get a lot of assists. But uh, so was was he worth the money spent, Mark? Uh, obviously, you could say if he had played a full thirty-eight, and if he had played, you know, whatever, those numbers would have been much much higher. But you have to look at it as a uh, you know per capita, if you will. It looks like if you look at the minutes and then the goals scored and the assists given, he was absolutely fantastic. Uh, so is this? Is this the player that PSG builds off for the next two or three years as they try to make a a, a, a run in Europe as opposed to just uh, domestically? I'm going to answer your question, but at first I'm going to re- reframe it a little bit. Okay. Because I think when people talk about, and especially in the um, especially in the American and the British uh, football media. I think they talk about this in the wrong way, or they frame it in the wrong way. So I want to kind of reframe it a little bit. Don't think of Neymar as the key player to win PSG the Champions League. 
He is that, but that's sort of secondary to what he really is there for. Neymar is there as an investment in the long-term future of the club. And here's what I mean. PSG, for years and years, ever since the Qatari takeover in 2011, and if you go back to 2011, you'll see the type of roster that PSG had. They had a very typical league on roster. They had a little more money than they had. They didn't even really have that much money to spend. They just sort of had a typical league on roster. Qatar takes it over. They spend a lot of money up front to sort of rebuild that roster from what was basically nothing. Nothing that they could really use. And through all of that, they tried Zlatan. They tried Javier Pastore. They tried all these guys. And in 2017, when this transfer happened, PSG's project, both on the field and financially, which is what's most important in this situation, was stagnating a bit. If you watch the PSG game at the end of 2017, at the end of the 2017 campaign, half the stands were empty. And the one thing that you can't have if you're trying to build a super club in Europe's, you know, basically the heart of Europe, Europe's most famous capital city, are empty stands. So you have this player who is behind Messi and Ronaldo and really only behind Messi and Ronaldo, not only as a talent, but as a marketing draw and a brand. And you have the ability to um, trigger the release clause and do it in a way where you can sort of circumvent what you would normally have had to have done to get a player like Neymar. And let's be honest, if there wasn't a release clause, PSG would have no chance to get a player like Neymar because players in the, the top five players in the world don't often move. They move very rarely and for high transfer fees in very select circumstances. So you get Neymar. You sell more shirts than you've ever sold. Mm-hmm. The, um, the social media imprint that PSG has has grown fairly significantly since he's been on the team. Um, just as an anecdotal evidence, our our site, PSGtalk.com, um, cheap plug. Um, we've no, absolutely, plug, more, plug away, plug away. Yeah, we've gotten much more traffic than we ever have. The site has grown leaps and bounds since the transfer. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, PSG, and, and again, more anecdotal evidence, I've seen more PSG jerseys walking around in New York where I live, walking around anywhere than I've ever seen in my life. And I've been a fan for six, seven years now. Mm -hmm. So you can't just measure Neymar's impact by how many goals and assists did he have. Mm -hmm. Because I really think that that's missing the point. Now, I will answer your question as as I sort of go around and bring it back to where you want me to bring it. Yes. If it'll be worth it, and I would say this year, based on the Champions League, um, results you could say maybe it wasn't but i think once this team starts to really gel together they play they play with each other for longer than six months neymar gets more comfortable mbappe gets more comfortable psg figures out what tactical plan they're going to use and how they're going to build their um 
how they're going to build around a player like Neymar, because I really don't think they did. I think they just sort of let him have the ball and let him just be Neymar, which is fine and dandy for League One, but it's not going to win you Champions League knockouts. So, obviously, it's worth it. The risk is worth it. The reward is worth it. And eventually, when I talk about it being an investment, there's going to be two, three years down the line, the chance to sell Neymar for 400 million euros and basically set your team up for the next 10 years with that transfer. And that's what you should be able to do. That's why it's an investment. And it's important to keep that in the back of your mind when you talk about it. But yes, I would say for what he brought to this team, and you could see the decline when he, when he, uh, when he got hurt, they were they started wearing down. The depth wasn't there. And I think once they won the league, I think everyone sort of shut it down. So, yeah, to, to make a long story short, I would say it's been worth it so far. Okay, fair enough. I mean, that's uh, you explained that beautifully, and you're right. Uh, there is, there, there's, two, there's two answers to that question or two different sides to it, and you, and you definitely covered that beautifully. I mean, there, there's the... Neymar economic effect, if you will, uh, financial effect, like you said, more jerseys. I saw my first PSG jersey in Charleston, South Carolina here uh, a couple months ago. Granted, it was a nine-year-old kid whose dad probably bought the jersey, but the, the kid saw them play somewhere and was attracted to that style of football and that brand of football. And he was, I mean, so yeah, I, I think that Neymar will do uh, a lot for them as far as so to speak, getting the word out. But also, in addition to that, I think it's a long-term investment on the pitch. Um, one other thing that I want to get to with them, Champions League season. So, fantastic group stage. They absolutely murder Bayern Munich at the uh, uh, Parc des Princes, uh, 3-0 uh, back in September. Cost Carlo Ancelotti his job. Uh, bad news for the rest of the Bundesliga because Bayern woke up after that and kicked everyone's ass. Uh, but you have Thomas Tuchel coming in. He had uh, after Jurgen Klopp led Dortmund to a fantastic season, almost 80 points scored, the best second place team in Bundesliga history. If it hadn't been for, you know, Pep Guardiola's final season, uh, like who, who's who's going to beat Pep Guardiola in anything when it comes to to domestic play? You can see what he did with Man City this year. He did the same thing with Bayern and Barca. Thomas Tuchel had Dortmund playing at an extremely high level. One year after Jurgen Klopp left the club, where they had to fight to get back in the Europa League, he had them safely in the Champions League. And I, I say this, and I say this with full confidence. Dortmund were in the, the quarterfinals of the Champions League, and had there not been a bus attack, I fully believe that Dortmund would have beaten Monaco, knocked them out, and gotten to the semifinals of the Champions League in 16-17. Truth be told, we will never know. But I think it's hard for a team to recover when you just had basically a, 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 a murderer try to kill your entire team. So that kind of mentally takes you out. I think Dortmund were the stronger side than Monaco. I think they had more experience. I think they had better players overall uh, from 1 to 11. But I digress. Thomas Tuchel is now your manager. You've seen what he can do at Mainz. You saw what he did at Dortmund. Nice coming in. Is he the guy to take Paris Saint-Germain to the next level in the Champions League beyond the round of 16, beyond the quarterfinals, beyond the semifinals, and finally get to that elusive step where they are in the position that Liverpool and Real Madrid are in this weekend? To win in the Champions League, especially in the knockout round, you have to have a cohesive, consistent 
strong tactical identity. And as nice of a man as Unai Emery was, and as nice of a guy as Laurent Blanc was, PSG lacked a tactical identity under those two managers. And what you ended up having was a PSG in the Champions League knockout stages that never really knew who they were and could never convincingly play a role. So, for example, um, certain teams like to counter and defend, defend, counter, and then, you know, score on the counter. Let's say, like an Atletico Madrid. Mm -hmm. Some teams like to play possession. They like to pass a lot in the midfield. And they like to sort of walk the ball into the goal. Barcelona or Manchester City under Pep Guardiola. Some teams like Real Madrid, their identity is basically, we've played a lot of games together, and we know exactly how each one of us on the pitch thinks. So all we really need to do is go out there, dig deep, you know, play hard, and make sure all the breaks go our way. PSG try to play those identities. They like, like they're trying on suits. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, today we're going to be the counter team. Okay, that didn't work out. I didn't like that suit. Let me tr- let's try being the possession team today. And there isn't that consistency and conviction of plan and um, tactical awareness. So what you get is a team that very often would get trapped in their own end with against teams that were much more convinced of their own identity than they were. And you felt like PSG, with all their talent, with all their skill, in the end, could not carry it through. Perfect example. The first leg against Real Madrid, for 80 minutes, they played um, defend and counter and sort of toe-to-toe with Real Madrid. They did. And that was a performance where if they had made it through 10 more minutes, they would have been tied one-to-one in the first leg with all of the momentum and all of the advantage. Mm-hmm. Problem, though, Real Madrid took it up to that next level, that next sort of peak level of performance, and PSG couldn't match them because PSG were not comfortable in their own skin, especially in a moment like that. They crumbled. And then they lost Neymar, and at home they sort of laid an egg. And the the momentum wasn't there. Their energy wasn't there. So I say that to sort of set up the idea that Thomas Tuchel, if he does nothing else, has to instill that sort of identity of, okay, this is how we're going to play. We're going to play this way in our league matches. We're going to play this way in our cup matches. We're going to play this way in the preseason, and we're damn sure going to play this way in the Champions League when it matters most. Because peak athletics is the ability to repeat something in an effective way without mistakes. It's muscle memory. That's what peak athletics is. It's muscle memory. You shoot free throws 10,000 times Mm -hmm. in practice. You you hit a baseball 1,000 times a day or a thousand times a week. That's what PSG have to get to. And that's what Thomas Tuchel, I think, is about. I think that's what he wants to instill. I think that's where, in the end, PSG are going to have to get to to win at this level. 
they're going to have to be able to have a plan, put your egos at the door for 90 minutes, not worry about sort of anything else, but just executing the plan and doing your job for 90 minutes. And then two weeks later, doing that again and being able to do it again and repeat it and be not robots on the pitch, but be um, be disciplined in where they're positioned, be disciplined in what movements they make, especially in their back line. And that's sort of what Tuchel has to do. And that's his job. And it may take a year or two, but I feel like it's a better, they're in a better place than they were two years ago with Tuchel now than they were when they hired Emery. Because as sort of uh, anal retentive as Emery can be with his film study and all that stuff, the guy just is the guy has a weak backbone and you hope Tuchel doesn't have that kind of a backbone and the way he sort of acted at Dortmund you can kind of tell that this guy has a little bit more of a spine he does he absolutely does that's really the goal for him is to just instill that identity and get 11 players who are willing to buy into it wow I mean uh, I agree with you 100% that's uh that's going to be the goal for Thomas Tuchel, and I, I honestly think that with him, they have the, I don't want to say the catalyst to get them to the next level. And 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 uh, with that, Mark, I mean, you have summarized their season perfectly. I, that was a brilliant explanation of what Paris Saint-Germain did both in domestic and Champions League and what they need to do for the future. And I think that with this, with this, with this manager and these players and the spending that this team is capable of, they are going to be able to do some great things in the near future. Um, at this time, Stan, uh, Alex, do you guys have any questions for Mark uh, concerning PSG? Um, I was just going to touch on the probably the best domestic season in European top leagues. All right, they've made they had the treble, uh, Coupe de la Ligue, Coupe de France, um, which involves about eight thousand five hundred clubs. It's kind of equivalent to the FA Cup, where they win, the winner gets through to the Europa League the season after. I mean, seventh title, five in the last six, which is crazy. It just shows how dominant they are. Um, I mean, in all the competitions, they scored 171 goals. Mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. Um, you know, 25, like you said, in the, in, in the Champions League group stage, it's 25 goals. That's a UCL. So, you know, but they still can't get near the top teams in that. I mean, you know, obviously you've got the Qatar money coming in. Um, I mean, when does that start to influence their identity? I know they've got a new manager now on Tuncho. Um, I think PSG are going through that phase of an identity crisis. Not a crisis because they've got some of the best players and they're playing really good football, but um, where they're going to be in, in a year's time. It's difficult to predict that now. Um, but yeah, I, no, I, I would, of, Sorry, I was going to say... Yeah, yeah. No, this, I just wanted to say, I think you can call it a crisis because it's been going on for longer than a year. It's, this has been going on for four or five years now. Yeah. And I think at the beginning of it, um, I think it was unrealistic to expect PS... And this is where... I think our president, our dear leader, Nasser Al-Khalifi, the, um, 
the president of Qatar Sports Investment, which is a whole other story in itself. But I think when he opens his mouth and says, our goal is to win the Champions League, and we have the potential to win the Champions League, I think it sets PSG up for a sort of ridicule that um, if you really sort of examine what they had to do starting in 2011, I think you'd realize that this is a really long process to build a culture. And it's taken teams decades. It's taken Juventus, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich. It took them decades to build that sort of um, equity. And PSG in seven years is not going to build that equity. And they're not going to build that culture. They're going to have to spend their way to the top. That's just that. It's circumventing what um, a lot of other clubs who've had more time and have had more stable management have been able to do. So look at them in year eight. The identity crisis you're talking about is really in the style of play, and it's really in the um, the fact that they sort of tried to, to – I, I know I use a lot of analogies, but to sort of flip a house. Imagine it again, like flipping a house. You buy this house that looks all run down. The plumbing's not very good. It's barely holding together. And you need to flip the house and try to make a profit on it. Only you have seven days to do it. And that's sort of how PSG's management looked at it. So they bought a bunch of players. They didn't really think about sort of generating a culture or any sort of like winning vibes. It was more just, okay, buy a bunch of players and... We'll see if we can win off the talent. Yeah, I get mean, a manager like Ancelotti, get a guy like Laurent Blanc, who's coached the French national team, and they forgot sort of the little small things that a lot of the other clubs who are more established have been able to generate. So Tuchel at this point is really the start of PSG trying to fix that identity crisis and sort of create, a, for lack of a better term, a football culture. This okay. is really their first at that and we'll see how it goes yeah i mean relying on like you said big name players to sort of bring quick success um obviously domestically it's worked but not not in the europe stage um you know too many big personalities have probably influenced the lack of identity um and taken the focus off the real team development um, slightly, but definitely, I think Tucha will bring and create a team spirit that's necessary for a solid foundation. He has got the backbone that Emery didn't have, I don't think. So I think it's it's going to be an interesting watch next season. PSG, they could, I don't know about the decade, but you know, in the next two three years, you know, Klopp's Klopp's done it in two or three years. He's he brought us to a European Cup final years ago and and obviously the cl final this year so in some under certain managers i think it will become quicker to develop that foundation yeah let me say uh yeah let me say that you know uh uh, tuchel followed um klopp at Mainz shortly after he left and then of course he was the very he was the successor to klopp at dortmund uh very he's a very brilliant football mind he knows how to get the most out of players. He made Julian Weigel a star. I mean, a star. This is a kid that came from uh, 1860 Munich. It was a second-tier relegation candidate for uh, for the most part for, for the last couple of years. They finally did drop down 
uh, last season, Julian Weigel was a, a, a chief buy, and, and he becomes a, a national team player in one year under Thomas Tuchel because he knew exactly how to play him at the six. It, mm-hmm. it's, he is, he is I, I can't say enough, he stood up to Johannes Joachim Batske, Dortmund's CEO, and basically told him to go fuck himself. I mean, basically told him that. He was sacked within... They had a 30-minute meeting. I think it said it was less than 30 minutes last May. After, mind you, after Dortmund won the German Cup. After they won the German Cup, he was sacked for a Champions League qualification and a, and a piece of silverware. The first piece of silverware in the career of Marco Royce. He didn't get it under Jurgen Klopp. He got it under Thomas Tuchel. This, I, I think what PSG, yeah. I think that is a brilliant hire. A brilliant, I'm envious. I'm, I'm envious because... I, I like Lucien Favre, who we'll get to later in the show, but um, Tuchel was, uh, he, he did not get along well with Dortmund Brass, and that's that's a known fact. But sometimes, if you got Phil Jackson coaching the Bulls, you fucking just stick with it. That's just how it is, man. Let him do his thing, win your championships, and, 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 and all things will work themselves out. Winning cures everything. But now he's going to go win, I believe, with PSG. I think he will take PSG to the next level. And that's, 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 that's what I think. Um, Stan, did you have anything to ask, Mark, or are you good? No, I think he covered everything perfectly, and I really appreciate his comprehensive knowledge on uh, Paris Saint-Germain. It was both a great year, but also a a disappointing one, and we've seen a number of of, uh, domestic winners suffer that same fate. So uh, thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It's always always fun to relive the memories. (laughs) Uh, well, we're going to move on uh, to, I know, Stan, you're up against the, the time. So we're, we're going to all move up against something else. A place where Paris Saint-Germain would like to be next season. This is a place where Liverpool and Real Madrid are. We are officially talking about. The UEFA Champions League final. It is May 26th. It has come down to this in Kiev. Uh, so we're going to review first. Let's look at the Reds from Anfield, Liverpool. 40 goals scored. 40 goals scored in the Champions League. That is unheard of. Uh, their, their efficiency in, on the offensive side of the ball has been... To, to quote the uh, Madrid people, it's been galactical, okay? It's, it, you know, you, you have players that have just risen to new levels. You have Mohamed Salah, obviously. If he had been a success 
at Chelsea, he never would have gone to Roma, and we never would have had the chance to see him at Liverpool. Things work out the way they do. Liverpool got probably, I don't know what he's valued at in the hundreds of millions now, but they got him for less than 40. You have uh, Roberto Firmino, who's, to me, cemented himself as one of the best number nines on the planet. You have uh, Sadio Mane, who is the lesser of the three. He is uh, more of a selfish player. He is decision-making is questionable sometimes. He keeps it when he should pass. He passes it when he should keep it. But when he's having a good game, he is having a good game, and he is uh, a clinical scorer. If you look at the scoring for Liverpool in the Champions League, it's really scary because you have Salah, Firmino, Mane with 10, 10, and 9. The next closest guy was this uh, dude that went to Barcelona. I forget his name. He wore the number 10. I don't know his name, though, so we'll forget about him. Um, I heard he has a bad back. Right, he has a bad back, yes. 29 goals scored between Salah, Firmino, and Mane, and uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain has two. They are, assist-wise, seemingly the same spread out. You have Milner with eight assists leading the team, Firmino with seven, Salah with four, and uh, somehow Alberto Mourinho got in there at three. Uh, okay. And, of course, the addition of Virgil van Dijk. And he has made Dejan Wolfren a better player. He solidified the back four, which was a, a, a massive problem in the uh, first part of the season. Guys, uh, what do we see as far as Liverpool uh, this weekend? Uh, as far, let's talk about, first of all, what do we see the matchups against Madrid? Where do we think they match up best with them? Where do, you, where do we think that Liverpool can, can put a hurt on Madrid, man, mano a mano? And where are the places that Liverpool had best be careful? Stan, I'll start with you. Um, as far as strengths go, I mean, you covered it with the front three. Uh, we don't need to go into detail about that. We've been raving about it all year. Um, even with Salah's uh, recent lack of form, whether that uh, be due to uh, being cued in on by Premier League defenses at the end of the year due to Chelsea playing for Champions League or... Stoke uh, playing for survival, which they failed. Uh, Chelsea, which they failed. Um, with all of that being taken into consideration, uh, the front three are the bee's knees of Liverpool Football Club. Uh, they have led a dominant campaign, a dominant goal-scoring campaign. Uh, they actually, uh, as we covered before, broke the record for most goals scored in a Champions League year. Uh, in a year of a Champions League tournament, um, Liverpool actually broke Real Madrid's last year's uh, total from last year of goals scored. Um, weaknesses the midfield right now. Um, right now, the midfield it has had to be reshuffled and reorganized constantly. Uh, we saw uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold fill in at the uh, right midfield spot, right RCM spot of the of the, uh, of the midfield three, which was um, manned. Perfectly by Alexander, uh, sorry, by uh, uh, by Ox, uh, Oxley Chamberlain. You okay? Um, you're, not a, you're, not separate... a, you're not having a seizure, are you? <laughs> no, 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 no. Alex Oxley Chamberlain. Oxley, um, yeah, his name is Alex Oxley Chamberlain. Yes. Yeah, I I've, okay. uh, seem to have uh, had a. Maybe I did. Maybe I did. He's having Recovery. a. Alex, he's having a stroke. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Keep going. Uh, I'm just trying to help you out, man. Uh, I'm trying to help you out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
Um, so with Ox's uh, ACL tear, uh, it has clearly been uh, uh, the worst injury at the worst possible time. Marco Grujic being out on loan. And these are all points we covered before, guys, being uh, LFC supporters. Uh, we can't hide that fact. Um, Critty, you and I have spoken about the midfield and or lack of depth. Uh, Hebdo coming back in the form over the past two months has been tremendous for the club. And I really do believe that he deserves uh, many more accolades than just being, oh, he just passes the ball sideways, sideways and backwards. No, the man commands and controls the tempo of the game. Also, shout out to Jason Milner, who has been a tremendous, tremendous plug at, again, at that same RCM spot. You're playing on the right or playing on the left and actually shifting from side to side during the match where he's playing next to Jimmy Wijnaldum or playing next to Ox. He has actually been perfect. Uh, through all of his Champions League uh, appearances. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, uh, not having Ox means you have Genie. I would say Genie would fill in at the start um, at the RCM spot. Who you play alongside if Milner's 100%, if he's fully fit, if he's match fit, you, you, you start him. You start him next alongside uh, Hendo, obviously being the deep line set. A CDM who also controls the pace of play, which I don't know if there's a CDM in the world, a six in the world who actually controls the pace of play. Those CDMs who say, hey, just be your Conte, be your Casemiro, uh, just, just, just sit back and, and be, the, be the shield for the, four, for the, four, for the four, front four, back four, front four. Who the fuck plays a four, two, four anymore? Um, it's, um, I think you're having a seizure. You got to be having. I, 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 I mean, I, I, I must they be. they play I must be. they play a four three three every flipping match, man. I, so I don't know. No, I, 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 yeah, I, I just, uh, yeah. Um, okay. My thing is that Hendo's uniqueness should be accounted for, and he deserves all the praise in the world. Uh, midfield, Florida, no speech. Uh, I have no problems with the back line. Uh, I think Trent and Robbo will have a hell of a task, especially on um, Robertson's side, uh, not Robertson's side, actually on um, Ta's side, uh, on the right back side, where Marcelo will be actually coming up to overlap, uh, being the left back who actually plays as a dual left winger. Uh, so he'll have a lot of responsibility, and it's his time to actually show that he is deserving of that England call up. Mm-hmm. Which he uh, recently got. So. Uh, yeah, so we're gonna. Uh, yeah, we're gonna get to Mark here in a minute because his team's actually played Real Madrid in the Champions League. Before we do that, Alex, if you're Jurgen Klopp this weekend, is it business as usual? Do you do you try some tomfoolery or trickery? Do you try and outthink or outsmart Zidane, or do you just say, "Boys, lads, front three, go fucking get them." <laughs> um. Well, first of all, he's got to be confident in the fact that the front three of what scored 31 goals in the Champions League this season, that's more than Madrid. 29, 29, 29. Well, including the... Oh, Hoffenheim? Yeah. Sorry, data. Sorry. (laughs) Why not? Why why not? Say that without including the Hoffenheim. Of course not, of course not. Um, well, I'm sorry, Hoffenheim. I'm sorry. Alex just wants to bury you guys a little bit more, but that's okay. You got group stage this year. So, um, yeah, that being said, um, if you look at the first 20, 30 minutes against Roma in the first leg, they were definitely feeling them out. Mm-hmm. Checking their 
approach to the second half of the first half, and we saw what that did. Um, I think he will have the same. He'll have to have the same approach this time, um, unless he wants to just go all guns blazing, um, which again is possible. I'll, I'll put a fifty-fifty on that. The first twenty minutes are going to be the most important. I think um, the fact that. Um, I've lost my thing. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I mean, so he he has. I mean, the team is pretty much fearless at the moment. Um, we have probably the most inexperienced final team that's in recent times. But I'm not going to worry about that really, um, because you are playing against a kind of aging Real Madrid team. You know, Ronaldo 33, Modric 32, Marcelo 30, Ramos 32, Benzema 30, Navas 31, um, Bale's approaching his 30s now. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the biggest players in the team, and for all their experience, um, they are aging. So I think we could potentially, um, and they've played only a week ago, um, so we have seven days rest ahead of them. There's lots of factors. We can talk all day about factors, but at the end of the day, it's whoever wants it more. Um, and I think, as from an, I'm a Liverpool fan, obviously, but from a neutral perspective, I thought. I think, I'm sorry, I thought you were a mate. People fault. want to see <laughs> Liverpool win. They don't want to see Real Madrid crown it three times. Let me ask you this, in, in saying that, because I'm glad you brought that up. My my next question to you was going to be, you you just said who wants it more. My question yeah. to you is, does Real Madrid want to be the first three-peats since Bayern Munich in the 1970s, or does Liverpool want their first since 2005 more? I think Zidane would want it more mm-hmm. um, because of this you know, dramatic third-time possibility, and it will just go down in history as one of the best European managers um, in, in the Champions League, that is. Um, but if you compare, like, say Ronaldo, what's his thoughts on it? He's won it twice in the last two years. Compare that with Andy Robertson, a relegated, you know, third division, Scottish third division player yeah. who's now Champions League final. He's, I don't think anybody will want it more than he. Look, uh, in and saying that... that goes around, that filters around the team as well. Um, they know that this is... No one expected this to happen. In, uh, to be honest, I didn't. No, no. In saying that, uh, so, to, absolutely. To, yeah, to your point. So, Liverpool are absolutely the Rocky Balboa. Uh, they are the underdog in this particular scenario. You have Jordan Henderson, a much maligned captain, gets a lot of criticism from his own fan base. You have James Milner uh, coming over from Man City. Never mm. quite got the job done with Man City. Has been... You know, a, a staple of consistency to Liverpool. He's been there ever since Klopp got there. They've sort of ridden this journey side by side, player and manager, hand in hand. He is Jurgen Klopp's, uh, I want to say, his better half on the pitch. You have Salah, an outcast from Chelsea who was thrown away to Roma. Roma then sold him to Liverpool for, for pennies to the dollar, what he's actually worth. Bobby Firmino coming from Hoffenheim to Liverpool. Many thought this is a stupid Brendan Rodgers purchase. He'll never amount to anything. Klopp has turned Roberto Firmino into the one of the most dangerous number nines on the entire planet. And then you have Sadio Mane, a guy who came over from Southampton. Again, uh, I think he's not even yet the finished product of what he will be. Oxley chamberlain discarded, disregarded by Arsenal. They said he was rubbish. He was garbage. 
uh, comes to Liverpool, Jurgen Klopp revitalizes his career. He's obviously not playing this Saturday, but that this is more to my point. Uh, Carius, last season, left for dead. This season comes back, has played extremely well uh, as the season has gone on. And it goes down and down the line. Dejan Lovren subbed off in, after 30 minutes at Wembley, getting embarrassed, embarrassed by Spurs. Comes back, when BBD comes in, he's a changed man. That back four now is nothing to mess around with. And, of course, Trent Alexander-Arnold, 19-year-old kid, shut down Leroy Sané, shut him down in the Champions League, made him a non-factor. This Liverpool side has more heart and more determination and more desire than any other team in England. That goes for Man City because we've already seen the result of when they played Man City. Yep. There is no question they, Liverpool is the better side. They have played them four times this year. They've won three. They've lost one. I don't care how bad Man City won the league by. Liverpool is better than Man City head-to-head. But I have a question for Mark. Mark, you you saw this um, with this uh, uh, Real Madrid with PSG. What do you think it is? You said for 80 minutes PSG played uh, really great football, especially in the first leg. They, What does Liverpool have to do to make sure that Real Madrid seemingly always, I've said this for a while now, they they seeming they, they they always play only as good as their opponents plus one. They they're not they're not going to blow you out and they're not going to dominate you, but they 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 almost like Zidane doesn't have to do a whole lot. The players kind of take it amongst themselves and say, "Hey, okay, they drew even with us. We got to go up two one now. So let's get to two one." I saw this happen against Dortmund in the group stage. Dortmund hung around with them for a while. Real Madrid scored one. I think then uh, either Yarmolenko scored one to equalize it. Then Real Madrid pulls away. No, sorry, that was Tottenham. Sorry, Aubameyang scored uh, the equalizer. Then Real Madrid pulls away 3-1. What does Liverpool have to do to, to make sure for 90 minutes that they stay ahead of, of Real Madrid? All right, uh, so all three of you are Liverpool fans. Yes, we all three support Liverpool. Okay, I'm going to tread lightly then. So, um, I want I want to say this up front. I did not think that Liverpool would continue to be this good without Philippe Coutinho. Mm-hmm. My bad. I didn't see that one coming. Actually, I don't, I don't know what player you're talking about. It's, I don't I don't know who who. Yeah, no, nah, I, nah, I don't no, remember. Okay. No. Okay. Never mind. Um. So. When that guy that we're not going to talk about was shipped away, I thought it would make them slightly worse. It really hasn't. It's made them probably better in the short term. I'll, I'll say my, my, my fault on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, Liverpool have something about them that you really can't put your finger on right now. There's a momentum that they have where it's like running into a buzzsaw. You have a team with a lot of, as you guys laid out really well, a lot of players with heart, young, scrappy, not the cream of the crop when it comes to um, their youth academies. These are guys that some of them you got off the street. And here they are in the Champions League final against the two-time defending champion Real Madrid the most decorated team in European football history. Mm-hmm. So that's an accomplishment in and of itself. That 
I think any fan can be really, really proud of and really want. As a PSG fan, I would die for this type of run. Like, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to diminish it. Because getting to the Champions League final is difficult no matter how you do it. Now, I will mention that they were in a group with Sevilla, Spartak Moscow, and Maribor. And in the knockout rounds, they beat Porto, Manchester City, who is a very good win, no doubt about it. And then a Roma team that beat Barcelona, but that was a very flukish way that they beat Barcelona in a very sort of strange um, two-leg tie. Although I would say it's arguable that Roma was slightly the better team over the two legs and that Barcelona got a bit lucky to even have the lead in the first place. With that being said, if you put these two teams on paper, one on the side of the other, maybe Salah makes Real Madrid's squad, maybe Firmino, maybe in the rotation of the 13 or 14 guys. Liverpool's problem in this in this um, Champions League final are two things. Talent and time. Now, Liverpool can put the time on their side. They have to score early. They have to force Real Madrid to sort of be aggressive. Because Liverpool, to be successful, will have to take advantage of a Real Madrid team that's pressing and trying to force the ball through. Because then Liverpool can create the space and they can run down the channels and Salah can get one-on-one and they can start raining the goals down. But if Liverpool runs into an early wall and that time starts ticking away and the pressure starts building on Liverpool to get that goal and all Real Madrid will have to do, and I've seen them do it against PSG, all they have to do, win a ball, one pass, two pass, pass to the wing to Marcelo, cross into the box, Ronaldo header, goal. Mm -hmm. It takes 10 seconds. And you can say, yes, Liverpool can take 10 seconds to score, too. But Real Madrid do it in a way where they can score from almost any situation. For Liverpool, it has to be a very specific situation that happens for them to score. A turnover or, you know, some sort of pass out of the back. There's not a whole lot of, um, in this situation, with the, way, with the talent disparity that, that there is, and as good as Liverpool have been, there is a talent disparity. Liverpool you have to have, yeah. Well, you have to have a few. You have to have a certain amount of formulas that go your way. Real Madrid can do it from any situation. They can do it from free kicks. They can do it from corners. They can do it from turnovers. They can do it from. Uh, they can do it from passing out of the back. They can do it from a long ball. They can do it from a Marcelo cross. And I look at it, and I look at these Champions League finals, and I, and I always look for those, how many ways can this team score versus how many ways can this the other team score? And, so you, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I'm talking too much. Go ahead. <laughs> so talking about um, matchups, or the most interesting one is obviously got to be Marcelo versus Salah. Do you, do you think that um, Marcelo will have a different tactic given to him. Do you think he will continue being the most attacking left-back on the planet right now? 
because you don't know what what could potentially happen there. Do you think they'll reverse the tactics where a bit more defensive at the first half an hour? I think that will happen. I think they're going to feel us out. Yeah, I well, it, and it's also the same when you look at like World Cup final, where you look at the first 30, 40 minutes, neither team really wants to make a mistake early. So, you know, you can you can't really win. It's hard to win the Champions League in the first 10 minutes, but it's really easy to lose it in the first 10 minutes if you're not careful and you make silly mistakes early. So we know all about that. 2005. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we, okay, we did win that one, though, Alex. I know, I know, I'm just saying. <laughs> but, yeah, but the whole, the whole thing I'm looking for is if the game slows down and if Liverpool's midfield has to create the offense and has to initiate with precision passing and link-up play against arguably the, one of the best midfields ever assembled for a Champions League team a midfield that's played together for years, a midfield that understands where to be, who have one of the better um, sixes in the world, who have two, you know, well-experienced forward midfield players. Mm. Can they generate, if they're not countering, if they're not speeding up the game, if they're not playing the way Klopp needs them to play, can they... Can James Milner, can Jordan Henderson against this level of talent, which quite frankly, besides Manchester City, and I don't think Manchester City's quite in Real Madrid's league in that talent, in that when it comes to that type of talent, it's a different, it's a different class. Mm-hmm. Can they generate it out of nothing? Can they make the precision pass to unlock a defense? Can they force Real Madrid to be uncomfortable in the half field? Yes. If they can, you got you got a real good shot, more than a real good shot. But I, I don't, don't see that happening. I don't think they faced such dynamism and speed before such um, mm-hmm. season in the Champions League. I think Firmino has to have a very good game, picking out those those pockets of spaces, either drawing in Varane with him, which will open up another bit of space for Mane to run into. So Milner or Henderson can clip a ball over, for example. Or if he stays and then Firmino stays in defence and Firmino picks up that ball and then he turns and creates. So that's one of the... Yeah, I'm going to watch out for that. That's going to be interesting to watch because I know, obviously, Cruz is is quite defensive, but um, Ginny and Alden, I think he's... Obviously, he's going to play. I mean, the, the the team picks itself, right? No one's arguing Hendo, Milner, and Ginny, right? No. But I think recently, yeah, that's that's true. Stepped yeah. up to that sort of number eight. I've seen in the last few games against Roma, he's been attacking more and and kind of filling that Oxley Chamberlain role, certainly more than anyone else. Um, so the pressure in the midfield. I mean, it's it's going to be. I'm, gonna, uh, I'm just nervous thinking about it, to be honest. Uh, so, so we did had to we had to uh, lose Stan, and I want to thank Stan for being on uh, at Real White Dude FC. For those of you who want to follow Stan, uh, I know he had to go and and take care of some business, but uh, it is the three of us the rest of the way. Uh, just to just to knock out Liverpool uh, before we move on to Real Madrid, because there there is another dance partner in this in this scenario here. Uh, you know, 
Alex, you were talking about the speed. And and one thing is, I don't think that Real Madrid has faced the speed that uh, Liverpool present. But also, what is key, I think, um, Mark, you said it's, it's, it's easy to also lose a Champions League in the first 10 minutes. But I think against Real Madrid, it's very easy to lose it in the last 10 minutes. And I think that's where... That's where Liverpool have to be wary because they drew, they got to a 5-0 lead against Roma. They let Roma score two away goals. Uh, now, you can say in hindsight, who gives a shit? It didn't matter in the end. Uh, but I don't think they're going to be up 5-0 against Real Madrid. They could potentially be up 2-0 against Real Madrid. And 2-0 is not safe against a team that prides itself on its uh, perseverance and its uh, ability to overcome the odds, no matter who the opponent is. And, and so I think that it's crucial that if Liverpool get a lead, they keep a lead. I think that they are a team that is still susceptible. They, 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 it's almost like the, 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 the confidence turns into, I don't want to say cockiness, but maybe a, a, a kind of a relief like, ah, oh, we've done it. We're up 5-0. Uh, we can relax. And this is, you know, Sudden death, winner takes all. There is no second leg. But I, I think it's, unless Liverpool are 4-0 up with 75 minutes played, I, I really think that they need to be on their P's and Q's for the full 90. But I want to switch real quick to Real Madrid. So Real Madrid, a little bit interesting. They have switched their tactics up uh, quite a bit. Their favorite formation, though, thus far in the Champions League has been a 4-1-2-1-2 featuring Carvajal, Varane, Ramos, uh, Marcelo in the back, Modric, Casemiro, Kroos in the middle, Isco, and Benjamin Ronaldo up front. Uh, those have been the preferred uh, aggregate, if you will, starting 11 uh, picked by Zidane. They come in. Uh, they've scored uh, 30 goals in this Champions League. They've had 55.1% of the possession, and they have a, a astounding 88.6% pass percentage rate. Obviously, Ronaldo leads the team in minutes played, 1,080. Here's the thing that's really uh, curious about Real Madrid. If I, if I, as I told you before, with the scoring, it's very even between Salah, uh, Firmino, and Mane, 10-10 and 9. Ronaldo has 15 goals, and the next closest guy is Benzema with 4. So on paper... It looks like they're a very one-dimensional side. And I think Mark alluded to it. A lot of that comes from, hey, uh, we're doing well. Fall asleep, fall asleep, fall asleep. Uh-oh, Real Madrid counter, cross, boom, Ronaldo goal. And that's uh, a, a lot of what happens to these unsuspecting sides or, or these, these sides that get a little bit more comfortable than they should. Uh, Assist-wise, uh, Carvajal, Ronaldo, 3-3. Vasquez, Isco, and Marcelo also, also have two apiece. Uh, so if we look at Real Madrid... Alex, uh, what what scares you the most about them uh, if you're Jurgen Klopp on Saturday? Um, well, they're arguably um, in their best European form um, in decades. Um, obviously, the amount of experience, the amount of time they've played together. Um, Bale's pretty much fit now, right? So yeah, he, yeah. Mm -hmm. He's certainly in contention as well. So the quality, the caliber of the player, um, that you know, they've got probably four players that could change the game instantly. We have one, maybe two. So I mean, it, 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 I mean, Ronaldo obviously is on fire still. That's going to be someone needs to put a foot on him in the first 10, 15 minutes, get him rolled up. Um, Hopefully, 
get him a, get a tantrum going. Um, I don't know. But, I mean, Zidane has obviously won the last two. Um, and th- this will this is the, the hardest team to beat. And in their best form. So, for, for Liverpool to come away with a win is beyond anything. It's just huge because of the fact that Real Madrid are so good um, with their experience. Um, yeah, and obviously they've got probably the best keeper, well, the best performing keeper in the Champions League this season, Navas. Navas, yeah. He, he kept them in uh, the semi-final uh, against Bayern Munich. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Mark, uh, quick question to you. Does What is Zidane's tactics going to be in this? Does he even have a tactic? Is his tactic just saying, hey, you guys have played together forever. I took you over after a successful manager in front of me was sacked. You guys know what to do. Go out there, win, get the job done. Is, is, is there, are we going to see a, a, a concise strategy from uh, Zidane's side, or is it just going to be Real Madrid feeling out Liverpool, waiting for them to make a mistake, launching on the counter, pouncing on them, and scoring a goal? Uh it's kind of scary to think of getting into Don's head, but um, I'll, I'll try. Um, <laughs> I think it, okay. So if it were me, again, if I were if I were somehow in this situation, one thing I would instruct my, um, especially my defenders and my midfielders to do, is to try to move the ball as quickly to the other side as possible, in the sense that you don't want to get stuck, sort of making short passes in the mid in your own end, where Liverpool can start to press. So in this situation, I would be thinking, get the balls out wide. Try to, if Liverpool are going to turn you over, they're not going to turn you over in the middle where they have options on the wings on either side. Try to keep it on the, keep the ball in the channel. Try to work it through Marcelo, specifically through Marcelo, because I, I tend to think Marcelo is a top five player in the world, not mm-hmm. just the best left back in the world. I think he's one of those. I mean, you watch that first leg against PSG. He won that match almost by himself. Just his ability to his ability to pass, his ability to shoot, his ability to move in and out and to sort of be that sort of all <laughs> attacking left back. So my game plan would really try to be don't get too cute in the back. Don't get into a you know a, a passing contest between Modric and Cross and Casemiro get the ball wide try to get it quickly over the midline and put Liverpool in a situation where they have to foul or defend and I will say the two words that I think uh, I'm not sure Liverpool fans want to hear in this situation but set pieces how many set pieces will Real Madrid get how many will they capitalize on? Mm. And they only have to capitalize on one, maybe two. Mm-hmm. A corner, a free kick outside the box. If Liverpool get in a situation where they're fouling a lot, and that will happen when you're playing a team that controls the ball, and it all really depends on how that press works. And if Real Madrid can show early that they can easily or – relatively easily break Liverpool's uh, gig and press, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Liverpool's in trouble 
because then they have to defend in their own end, and they're not as good at that. Liverpool need to be aggressive and to defend on their side of the field because once it goes to their side of the field, now, okay, um, Lovren, meh, um, We defend from the front. Yes. Well, that's what I'm saying. You defend from the front. Yeah. And that's if Real Madrid can break that press Mm. early and often, Liverpool's going to be in trouble. If Liverpool can get a couple on them and get the ball away and start getting Casemiro and Kroos and Modric a little bit jittery, that's really, I think, where the game's going to come down to. And to say what the tactics will be, I think the tactics are really going to be about not getting caught early, being cautious and safe with the ball, play a long ball if you have to, get yourself through the first 25 minutes, settle the game down, and then just be Real Madrid. Be the team that um, just puts the pressure and puts the pressure and puts the pressure, and eventually the other team breaks. That's just how it works. I mean, you can argue that Bayern Munich were the better team in the first leg in the in both legs of the semifinal. You can make that argument if you want. The scoreboard doesn't make that argument. The scoreboard says that Real Madrid scored more goals than Bayern Munich. And that's really what matters in the end. So you can have moments against them. You can have stretches of play where you're really good and you look like you're taking control of the game. But it's not about that. Football is about scoring goals. Do you think and that... Uh, if, well, Alex, uh, so, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I have this question for both of you guys, Alex, uh, you and Mark as well. Uh, it's uh, Sometimes Real Madrid has a tendency to sometimes play with a high line. Is that something that Liverpool can exploit? Or do you think Zidane knows that Klopp knows that and, and, and won't, in fact, do that in this match? Or at least not early. Yeah, I was just about to say, you know... Um, I think it's just a matter of time until they meet a team like Liverpool right. that, that that they will concede um, more goals than they normally ha- normally do. Um, with that high line, with, with Marcelo charging up, um, with this, like I said, the speed that we can break on, that's that's what we're relying on really. Um, so I'm not sure how Zidane's going to approach this. Um, I think. It's going to be, like Mark said, down to the midfield and the creative play that Firmino can hook up with Mane and Salah. Um, I know Henderson brings that sort of calmness approach. We do have some experience. We do have some composure in our ranks, you know. I think we've got a good composed spine, actually. You've got Firmino at the top. Um, you've got Milner. Hendo's, you could say, quite composed at the moment. And VVD. Maybe Carrius, not so much, but that's going to be an interesting factor. Um, if they can withstand pressure and get the header and use their footballing brains to create chances. You know, Klopp's time and time again, he wants he wants any attack to result in a shot on goal. Um, so if that you know philosophy is instilled when you've got the ball, that's all you're thinking about. 
Um, so I don't think Zidane has ever faced, you know, faced a team with that kind of mentality, um, which is going to be it's going to be oh, mate, a really interesting game, to be honest. It, this is this is the he- this is the heavyweight, uh, the, you know, this is the heavyweight championship of the world, and it is going to be a fascinating game. Mark, I do this this under. I realize what I'm about to ask you. Okay, this under for any other club would be a fucking stupid question. I mean, an, a, a, an amazingly stupid question. But this is Real Madrid. Real Madrid expects to win something every single year. You don't bring silverware home to Papa. You don't get to keep your job. So if Zidane does not win this match on Saturday, he will have won absolutely nothing for 2017-18. Nothing. If he does not win, is he sacked? Um, I think Zidane's different in the regard that um, Real Madrid sort of, he's a former Real Madrid player. They groomed him specifically for this job. Mm-hmm. This is not someone, this isn't like Rafa Benitez or Jose Mourinho where they got them as sort of mercenaries. This is a guy that they basically, as I said, they handpicked and they groomed to take this job. They maybe didn't expect him to be this good this fast, but he was given a great, um, a great group of players. He's a great communicator. And I kind of liken him to Steve Kerr. I don't know how many of you guys know basketball. Yeah, Golden State. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. yeah. Steve, just for those who may not, Steve Kerr is the coach of the Golden State Warriors, who basically are the best team in the NBA in the last uh, 20 years. And he's not this sort of fire and brimstone guy. And he's not necessarily the most. Um, excellent tactician in the world, but he's a calming presence. He knows how to talk to players. He's been on the biggest stages and Zidane even more so because Zidane's a world cup winner. He's a champions league winner. He was one of the best players in the world. One of the best players of his generation. So he has the respect of the locker room. He's won two champions leagues. He's won the league. Um, He's gone now to three Champions League finals. He has a shot to win a third. I think it would be absolutely ludicrous to fire him. Because mm-hmm. who are you going to get that yeah, has the respect that Zidane has with the players, mm-hmm. that you've spent all of this time positioning to be in this spot in the first place? Who do you hire? You don't hire Antonio Conte. Who do you hire? Who's there? Who do you go and say, this guy is better than the guy we're firing? It would be the worst of reactionary firings. It would be, um, it to me, it would be completely absurd. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And sure. it will put on the next manager. I, I, no, like really, like if you think about it, who would you get to be the next Real Madrid manager if you fired Zidane? So for me, it's like he's got another year, and if next year they don't bring home anything, you can start having the discussion then. But I think he's, even at a job like Real Madrid, I think he's built up enough equity to last him through this year into next. Yeah, I think that if it's, if it's anybody but Real Madrid, if you win back-to-back Champions Leagues, you could be in 15th place in La Liga and you've, built your, you've got, bought yourself equity for at least a couple of seasons. I mean, it, it, yeah. that's why I say 
It's a stupid question other than the fact that it's Real Madrid because they have fired coaches for far less. Um, yeah. So, so that's, I, I, I would, that's a job that for the money, I wouldn't mind it, but the pressure, I wouldn't take it. I, I simply would not take it. And it, it, you know, Zidane is a, is a better man than I. But as you said, you made some excellent points. He's, he's Galacticos. He's, he's uh, homegrown. He went from Juventus to Real Madrid, and he became a household name there. Obviously, as you said, he was uh, the coach of their B team. He was uh, 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 brought on a couple of years ago from that role to take over the senior squad, which he has done extremely well. They ran away with the league last season, back-to-back Champions Leagues, obviously against uh, two of one of them against one of their arch rivals from La Liga, Atletico Madrid, and the other one against a very, very strong Juventus side. So we've come to the end of this uh, final preview. So I'm going to ask each of you, I'll give my, 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 my prediction first. Uh, I want your halftime score and I want your full-time score. So for me, I'm going to say at halftime, it is 2-0 to Liverpool. Oh, man, I had it. Wow. Did you fall off your chair, Alex? Say again? I said, did you fall off your chair? No. Okay, sorry. I thought maybe my I thought maybe my two nil scoreline uh, scared you. Two uh, nil to Liverpool. I think they come out and shock them from the from the get go. Uh, my full time score: Liverpool with a Virgil Van Dyke header in the 89th minute off of a corner to win it three to two over Real Madrid. Six time European champions, Liverpool FC. Alex, what's your 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 halftime score and your full time score? Wow, can't compete with that. I think it'll be 1-0 to Liverpool um, or 0-0 at halftime. I think it'll be quite tight in the first half. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't mentioned this before. Big shout out to the 12th man um, of Liverpool. And I think that with the camaraderie going on in the club at the moment, um, the spirit of the players, it's brought together, um, I think, sort of the closest it's been to, to the supporters and the players and through the manager. So I think the 12th man will help get that second goal, right, which we need, because I think it'll be one all going into the last 30 minutes. I want to say <laughs> 25-yard screamer from Andrew Robertson. <laughs> I'm, gonna go with, I'm gonna go with Salah um, to score the winner in the, in, the, in the 80th minute, and then we'll be a tight heart attack moment for the last 10 minutes. 2-1. 2-1 to Liverpool. Uh, one quick thing uh, before I get Mark's prediction. Uh, look this stat up today. No side in Champions League history since AC Milan in 2005 has lost and scored more than one goal. So this, uh, uh, my prediction would break that streak uh, because I have Real Madrid scoring two and losing. The loser for, since 2006 has scored one goal or less. So that is something to keep in mind. I, I do see this, though, as a wide-open game. So I, I, I think that there will be goals scored. Mark, how do you see halftime and full-time in this match? And who, who do you see uh, kind of clinching it for, for whichever side you pick? All right, it's time for the contrarian. Um, <laughs> oh, here I, we go. I'm going to have it 1-1 one, one at half. Uh-huh. I think it's only, um, it's only right that we get a – Salah goal within the first 10 minutes to get everyone excited and everyone lose their minds and all that stuff. I think Real Madrid settle the game down. They get a goal somewhere in the, between the 30 and 40th minute. 1-1 at half. 
And then I think, and this is an old saying, and I, I like to dust it off once in a while, I'll take it off the shelf, because I think it works here. Um, it's, an old, it's a very old saying from a long time ago. Great teams aren't always great. They're just great when they have to be. And in the second half, Real Madrid's going to have to be great. You're going to watch that first half and go, oh, Real Madrid's not playing that well. They're barely in this game. How did they, you know, we have a great shot in the second half. And then, like great teams do, they show up when it matters. They show up when it counts. They get the goals when it matters. I'm going to say final score, 3-1 Real Madrid. Very well. Well, I think we've I think we have covered as much Champions League and as much Paris Saint Germain as we can. I, there were a couple more things I wanted to cover, but we are running up to the hour. We are going to cover those uh, on on a future show. Mark, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Your insight into pa- Paris this season and as well as the Liverpool Madrid matchup has been absolutely fantastic, world class. Thank you so much for being on. Oh, I, I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, please tell people what you're working on, uh, your site, uh, and where they can find you uh, on, on the internet. All right. I'll try to keep the plug short. So um, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at MarkDamon1, M-A-R-C-D-A-M-O-N-1. I am a writer, contributor, podcaster for PSGTalk.com. Um we are the, uh, we like to claim, we're self-proclaimed, but we haven't had any challenges, so. Um, hey, well, then it's yours, then. We are the number one news and opinion site for PSG in the English language. So, if you're an American fan or an English fan of Paris Saint-Germain, there's more than you think. Um, we are the site to go to. We have player profiles, match recaps. Um, I do my podcast, PSG Small Talk. Pretty much every week, maybe not so much in June because I need a break. Yeah. But um, we do. We have a lot of good contributors. We have great content. Um, recently, uh, I uh, had a podcast series coming up. It's actually running right now called the World Cup Project, mm-hmm. where I interview different um, contributors and friends of the site. We talk about um, different national teams. We talk about all things World Cup, not just the preview. Everyone does the preview, but we do. Um, I, we, I talk about the history of the French national team with a person who was there when they won the World Cup in 1998. I talk, with, um, I talk about the Mexican national team, the German national team. We kind of go into a history. We talk about the culture. We talk about the moments. It's a very good series. I'm very proud of it, and it's running right now at the site. Uh, Twelve episodes. We're seven in so far. Uh, so if you uh, want to listen to the archives, um, you can catch up on those at psgtalk.com. And I think that's about um, that's about it for what I have. Thank you again for having me on. I very much appreciate it. Awesome, Mark. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Alex, uh, real quick, where can people find you on the internet? Um. I'm on Twitter, Chicken Lip Seven. Um, <laughs> Chicken Lip Seven, yep. Chicken Lip Seven. Slowly increasing the content. Um, follow for um, site, um, and obviously Kings of Europe. So slowly, um, yeah. A podcast contributor. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. That's it, really. Well, that wraps it up, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to see what the deal is this Saturday. We'll have a post. 
game show for everyone uh, this Sunday. We're going to be doing a post-game show. Uh, win or lose, uh, we, the, the Liverpool faithful, we, we, we will shake the hands of Madrid if they are the better side. If they aren't, we will give them uh, you know, a, a, a taste of their own medicine by lifting the trophy yeah. ourselves. Um, Fucking come on, you boys! <laughs> All right, guys. Mark, again, thank you. Alex, thank you. This has been Kings of Europe, Episode 7. Good night, everyone, and see you in Kiev.